Let's take our Bibles and turn together to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. We began to look at this verse last time, but this morning we're going to focus more closely on one word. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And it would be passing strange should we use a word at any time in Christian worship and teaching, assuming that the meaning of that word was understood by everybody in the gathering. And one word that stands out in this text is this word, holiness. The author is putting holiness before us as the great pursuit of our lives. He is urging us to strive after it, to to pursue holiness. But what we need to understand is that when we talk about holiness, we are primarily speaking about the holiness of God, specifically the Holy One of Israel. Even more specifically, the Holy Trinity, God the Holy Father, God the Holy Son, God the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we talk about the holy or holiness, we are not talking about a kind of numinous something. We're not talking about some phenomena. Rudolf Otto talked about Das Heilige, the holy, as if it were something out there, something, some kind of stuff or, or gas or or appearance, or, or vision, or, or, or something that could be attained in and of itself. No, in the Bible, holiness is not a something. In Holy Scripture, holiness is a someone. I am the Lord. Holy is my name. There is none holy like the Lord. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. So we need to say that right at the very beginning when we talk about holiness, we are talking about the holiness of God. And as we look at that subject this morning, I I want to simply say three things. That as the Holy One, God is the Holy One, as the Holy One, God is not us. God is for us, and God is with us. So let's start with that negative. Right at the very beginning, what we mean when we talk about the Holy One is that God is not us. The the word holy means to cut, of course, and, and to separate something. There is an infinite separation between God and us. We have to start there. It is, to use the language of theology, an ontological separation. God is a different being from what we are. He is made of something. He's not made of stuff like we are. God is not made. We are made. So there's this absolute division between who God is as holy and what we are, simply by being what we are, creatures. We could put it something like this. God is 
above us in majesty, and He is apart from us in His ineffability, in His incomparability. He is the self-originating, self-existing, self-determining God. He's outside of all of our categories. And when we say holy of God, we are simply repeating His name. God gives us His name. His name takes various forms. But however many forms His name takes, we we need to understand this very basic truth about the God of the Bible, which is hard for us to… in fact, impossible for us to comprehend, but important that at least we know the language. And this is the language, that God Himself is a simple being. We are complex. God is simple. That is to say, there is no composition in God. There is no compositeness in God. In the language of our confession of faith, God has no parts. He is not made up of things. Now, you think of that. You think of what you know about the various elements of God's nature. And remind yourself that when God reveals Himself in Scripture, He reveals Himself as the one who simply is, meaning the one who simply exists. When God wants to tell us who He is, that's what He says, I exist, I am, that I am. That's, that's who I am. We are becoming, we, are, we, are, we begin and we end in terms of our earthly life. Throughout our earthly life, we are progressing, moving, becoming something that we weren't before. But God remains as the one who simply exists. And yet we say a lot of things about God, don't we? We, we find in the Bible that it says God is spirit. So He's not got a body. He doesn't have any material or physical or even spiritual substance or whatever. He simply is spirit, spiritual, a spirit being, invisible. God is wise. God is almighty. God is love, the Bible says. God is holy. How do we understand all of those things? Is God made up of all of those things? Do we list them down and say, well, uh, there's His holiness, and there's His wisdom, and there his, there's His love, and, and there's His almightiness? In the Bible, it teaches us that these are what God's name means. When, God, when we are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are baptized into who God is. And all that is in God is God, as Thomas put it. All that is in God is God. He is holy all the way down. He is wise all the way down, almighty all the way down, love all the way down. That is His existence. That's who He is. St. Augustine put it like this, in God, to be, that is to exist, is the same as to be wise, to be loved, to be holy, to be almighty. In God, to exist is to be that because that is what He is in in the simplicity of 
His nature. After you've said everything you have to say from the Bible about God, it all adds up to this. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. But all of those attributes that are ascribed to Him, like wisdom and power and love and spirit and holiness, are pointing us to the fullness, the plenitude, the abundance that is in God. Everything we could ever need, everything we could ever want, everything that we would ever need to call upon or to rest in, in this earthly journey that we're, uh, that we're engaged with on our way to heaven, everything is in Him. Everything. He is in His very being an overflowing plenitude of, of fullness, so that the Apostle John can say, of His fullness have we all received grace upon grace. And the picture there is the picture of the waves of the ocean crashing upon the shore as grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And I can do this for the next 40 minutes and for all eternity. Piles upon our lives, everything, because out of God there is an abundant fullness that never comes to an end. As John Webster puts it, God's love, mercy, patience, righteousness, and holiness, God's infinity, impassibility, changelessness, and omnipotence all say one thing, at once the most simple and comprehensive. They all say, God is. He exists. And that's where we begin when we think of holiness. We think of this ontological barrier, this being barrier between what God is and what we are. We are contingent beings. Our, our very existence is contingent on the conditions on our planet being exactly right to sustain human life, on us having air to breathe, food to eat, water to drink, human companionship to enable us to function as social creatures, all of our lives are contingent. God is not contingent upon anything. He is life in Himself. He has life in Himself, a life that is self-generated. Stephen Charnock was one of the great Puritans. He put it like this, God, having an infinite knowledge of Himself, can only have an infinite love to Himself, and consequently an infinite holiness without defect, because he loves himself according to the vastness of his own good nature. Actually, the Puritan word was amiableness, but I knew you wouldn't understand that. His own good nature, which no finite being can. God knows himself, therefore he loves himself, because there's no greater thing for him to love. And yet he turns towards us. So here's the first thing. As the Holy God, one of Israel, God is not us. Secondly, as the Holy One of Israel, God is for us. The Holy One of Israel, or the Holy Trinity, makes himself known by what he does. When an infinite God wants to communicate with finite creatures like we are, 
He has to do something using finite instruments to demonstrate that he's there. Because he's so vast, we could never comprehend him. And he's invisible, so we can never see him. God has to use finite things which he has made himself in order to communicate with finite people. And throughout history, God has revealed himself as he is in himself. That is, he's revealed himself as holy. You take the ways in which he's revealed himself to Israel. He came to Moses. You remember, Moses was in the desert. He sees a fire. He goes to see what's causing the fire. He finds the fire is burning bright, but the bush is not consumed. That self-originating, self-sustaining fire is an illustration to Moses of who God is. God then defines himself on the basis of that revealed picture of who he is and says, I am that I am. I simply am. I exist. God's existence is absolute. And it's at that point that God teaches Moses a lesson about God. He says, Take off your shoes from off your feet, for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. Why is it holy ground? Because he's in the presence of the holy God, a God who is at an infinite distance from him as a human being, a finite creature. And he has to learn that holiness is what separates God from Moses, but also that holiness is what is how God is going to reveal himself to Moses. Moses is going to be given the law. He's going to be commanded to build a tabernacle. He's going to be told to have a holy of holies in the tabernacle, the place that only the high priest goes once a year. And it's going to be drummed into the minds of the Israelites. It's going to be hammered into their psyche that you cannot approach God without sacrifice. There are barriers and hindrances because God is at an infinite distance. But nonetheless, that tabernacle is to be pitched right in the middle of the camp of Israel, telling them that God is the holy God who is separated from them, is approaching them as the holy God and is making provision for them to have a relation with Him, a relationship with Him. That's one of the great miracles. God moves towards us, even in His holiness. Or you take the picture that Isaiah had. In Isaiah chapter 6, he has a vision of God, and he tells us that he saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. He sees Him exalted above everything and everyone and everything in created reality, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. The, the universe, built originally as a temple in which God's glory would be displayed, God fills the universe. There is no end to Him. There's no part of the universe He does not fill with Himself, infinitely high, filling everything with His presence, with the seraphim singing, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah saw that, the majesty, the infinity, the purity of God. And it struck, it struck Isaiah as he sees this. This is ramifications for him. He cannot look upon God because he is unholy. Woe is me, he says. He speaks the covenant curse upon himself. Woe is me, for I'm undone. What that chapter teaches us 
is this, that the Holy God comes to reveal himself to human beings, but he also comes to provide a means by which human beings can view God, see God. As he sends a seraphim with a coal from off the altar to touch his lips, to cleanse him and purify him, and to make the man stand in the presence of God. God in his infinite holiness draws near in his infinite holiness. He comes close to us in his infinite holiness in order to prepare us for the sight of glory above by purifying us and making us holy. What is clear is that though holiness denotes everything God is that is different in kind from us, holiness also designates the way in which God chooses to relate to us. It is, in some ways, the most unexpected way for Him to relate to us. He's holy, we're not. And yet He chooses to relate to us at the level of holiness. And he does this most profoundly when God not only turns aside to see Moses and turns towards Isaiah, but when God turns up at the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what the words that Gabriel announced to Mary? Your child, the child to be born of you, will be called holy. Holy in an absolute sense, the Son of God. That's why He's holy. He's the Son of God. The devils, the demons, they recognized who Jesus was. He is the Holy One of God, they said, right at the very beginning of His ministry. At the end of His ministry, His disciples were able to say about Jesus, He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners. Peter saw this at work when Jesus calmed the storm, and Peter said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Jesus had said nothing about sin. Jesus merely demonstrated his power, and he realizes, Peter realizes, he's in the presence of the Holy One of Israel. Why did Jesus come into the world? The writer of the Hebrews is told as he came to make purification for sin. He came to sanctify those who were unsanctified. He came to make us ready to come into the presence of God, and He did that by His death and by His resurrection. He came to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. In Jesus, we see that the Holy One is God for us, acting for us in Christ, acting to make it possible for us to become a new, to come into a new relationship with God, a covenant relationship with God, to be a holy nation, a people belonging to God, God is for us. God is not us. God is for us. And God is with us. For there's another person of the Godhead who's operating in our lives, and that is the Holy Spirit Himself. And the distinctive thing about the Holy Spirit you may have noticed is that He is the Holy Spirit. So He's relevant to our subject. And when Jesus is promising the coming of the Holy Spirit to His disciples before He leaves, He makes a very interesting promise to His disciples. He says this, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will dwell with with you and will be in you. And with the Holy Spirit, we get not only the Holy Spirit, but we get the Father. Jesus says, my Father 
and I will come to you and make our home with you. Because the God of the Bible only acts indivisibly and inseparably as the one God He is. And so when the Spirit moves into your life, the Father and the Son move into your life to be present with you and to be present in you. Because the Father has chosen a people for Himself, the Son has rescued those people by His death and resurrection, and the Spirit comes to perfect that separating work by sanctifying us and making His people holy, by drawing His people into an ever-deepening relationship with God. So God's holiness is to be thought of then, if you like, in two ways. If you think of a vertical line from us up to heaven, that is, the holiness of God, as it were, that comes down from heaven, and our praises that ascend to heaven, as we join the angels and the archangels, and we sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty, as they do in the book of Revelation. We sing our praises, and we direct them upwards to the Holy One of Israel. And down from the Holy One of Israel come blessings, come the work of Christ for us on the cross, come the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live in a way that one day we will see God for ourselves. This is how God makes us, the church, into a holy people. This is how the the gospel makes us as individual believers, saints, holy ones. We're set apart by Him. We are chosen by Him. We are redeemed by Him. We are indwelt by Him, by the Holy Spirit. We belong to Him. We used to sing a little children's hymn when I was growing up. Then on each He setteth His own secret sign they who have my spirit, these, saith he, are mine. So God the Holy Father chose us. What did he choose us for? He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him, it says in Ephesians 1. The Holy Son became incarnate of the Holy Spirit and was made man to be the Savior and Redeemer of his people. It says in Ephesians, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. It says in Colossians, He's reconciled you who were alienated. He's reconciled in the, His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. The Holy Son comes into the world and dies for you and reconciles you to God and justifies you by faith and, and and adopts you, as it were, into the family of God in order that we might be holy. And the Holy Spirit's business is to release us from the unholiness of our lives. What do I mean by that unholiness? <clears throat> I mean that unholiness that keeps us at an infinite distance from the God who loves us. That unholiness that, pers that, that, that it pursues in our everyday lives that which is contrary to the will of God. Th that unholiness in which the creature, that is you and I, seek to be human, 
in ways that are not purposed by God. How many people are trying today in our world to be human in ways that have not been purposed by God? That unholiness by which the creature, just by trying to take their life into their own hands and out of God's hands, seek to destroy themselves. That unholiness, the Holy Spirit of God begins to break up, break the grip of that unholiness and begin to do His work in our lives. Think about this. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives with the Father and the Son. The Holy Trinity are active in the life of every believer. The Holy Trinity know what's going on in an upfront, personal way to every synapse that is, that is going in your brain right now. Every, every movement of every part of your body, every thought in your mind, every action you perform, every conversation you have, you have God, the Holy Trinity there present in the entirety of His being. He knows He is there. He is with you. He is within you all the time, wherever you are as a believer. That is not a second of your life where He is not. Do we believe that? He is the infinite God. That means you don't tie Him up. You can't place Him anywhere. He is every place, and He is every place in the fullness of His being. He is every place in the fullness of His identity, in the fullness of His knowledge, in the fullness of His wisdom, in the fullness of His almightiness. Everywhere. Now, there's a good side to that. His wisdom is available everywhere. His almightiness is available everywhere. His grace is available everywhere. He is available everywhere. You call on Him, He'll answer you. He's there as the Holy One of Israel. His purpose is to make you holy. In the context of Hebrews, where we've been talking about discipline and the trials of life, and the sufferings of life, and the troubles of life, and how God uses them. That's why He uses them, because His purpose is to make you holy. That's His big agenda. What is God's agenda for me? That's God's agenda for me. Here, why? Because that's preparing me to see Him. I don't want to be like Isaiah, thinking I'm undone. My eyes have beheld the King. I'm disintegrating. I'm going to disappear any minute now. I don't want to be like Peter who says, go away from me, Lord. Go away from me. I can't stand being in your presence. You're so holy, and I'm so unholy. I want to go boldly to that throne of grace. I want to go confidently because I've been sanctified by the work of Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit in me. That on that day when we stand in His presence, and we see the King in His beauty, that our eyes will be transformed and enabled to see that vision of God. That's the work that He's doing. The Spirit of glory and of God rests within you. Isn't that amazing? Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, you have been washed, you were sanctified, 
in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. Holiness is the holiness of God. Holiness is the holiness of God is what we are to grow in and to pursue. Holiness is what is how God wants to relate to you and to me in our Christian lives. Holiness is what He is about. Always helps to know what someone is about. What are they up to? What is their what is, what are, what's the bottom line? With God we need we don't need to ask. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. We'll spell out what that means in coming days. But this morning we just stop there. I, I hope we stop adoring this thrice holy one. I hope we, do, we stop rejoicing that there is a way for us to draw near to Him. I hope we stop with a sense of great joy that this one is for us, this one who is not us, that doesn't fit our categories, nonetheless has reached out to us as He is in Himself, the Holy One, to be for us in Christ and with us as the Holy God, the Holy Trinity, through the Spirit who indwells each one of us. Father, we pray that today we may leave here, perhaps not understanding everything that's been said, that's fine, but at least realizing that you are bigger than our categories of thought and yet closer than we'd ever thought imaginable. Fully with us, wherever we are. And there will be nothing happens this week where you are not there. All of you, all of your fullness, all that's in God, love, spirit, power, wisdom, with us. May that encourage us from moment to moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.